We are waiting for our Savior Jesus to return. He has promised to return for us. Uh, he has promised in God's Word, we have the promise that He's going to come and crush Satan. He's going to come and right all the wrongs of this broken world. And we long for that day as followers of Jesus. Today's text helps us think about that. Uh, it helps us think about how we are to live while we're waiting for that day. And it also helps us think about what we can expect uh, when he does return. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to, to Luke 19. Our sermon is titled, Our Returning King. Luke 19, verse 11 through 27. As they were listening to this, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. Therefore, he said, a nobleman traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king and then to return. He called ten of his servants, gave them ten minas and told them, engage in business until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We don't want this man to rule over us. At his return, having received the authority to be king, he summoned those servants that he had given the money to so that he could find out how much they had made in business. The first came forward and said, Master, your mina has earned ten more minas. Well done, good servant, he told him, because you have been faithful in a very small matter. You have authority over ten towns. The second came and said, Master, your mina has made five minas. So he said to him, you will be over five towns. And another came and said, Master, here is your mina. I've kept it safe in a cloth because I was afraid of you since you're a harsh man. You collect what you didn't deposit and reap what you didn't sow. He told him, I will condemn you by what you have said, you evil servant. If you knew I was a harsh man, collecting what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow, why then didn't you put my money in the bank? And when I returned, I would have collected it with interest. So he said to those standing there, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. I tell you to, that to everyone who has, more will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. But bring here these enemies of mine who did not want me to rule over them and slaughter them in my presence. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Help us understand it today. Open our hearts and minds to the truths that are here. Help us respond accordingly. Holy Spirit, work in us for, for those purposes now. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So if you look at verse 11 again. We see the point of the parable. We see the reason why he tells them this story. As they were listening to this, 
he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. So the purpose for this story that we're about to hear was to help correct their thinking. Uh, the crowd that's following him, remember this is him, he's coming out of Jericho, he's less than 20 miles from Jerusalem, he's in the last two weeks, almost close to the last week of his life, before he dies on the cross. And the crowd is following him there. And this author Luke tells us, he tells them this story because in their mind they were thinking the kingdom of God was about to, uh, was about to appear, was about to start. There was the understanding that the Messiah was going to institute uh, and bring in the fulfillment of God's kingdom. And so, as the crowd has been following Him, as the crowd has been learning from Him, as the disciples have been listening to Him, and they know this is a son of David. This is one of the descendants of David. And He's on His way to Jerusalem. Surely this is the time. Surely this is going to be the time when the throne is reestablished. When He's going to be king And God's kingdom is going to start now. And Jesus tells them this parable to correct their thinking. Uh, See, we saw two weeks ago uh, that uh, after the resurrection, uh, Jesus spent time with them. He taught them and then he ascended back to the Father. And so Jesus tells them this parable just in the last couple weeks of his life to let them know, I I am going to be going away for a while. And here's some instruction on how to live while you wait for my coming back and what to expect when I do come back. And so that's what this parable is going to help us with as we as we look at it. The first thing that we're going to see from this is what is expected of us while we're waiting. We're in the in-between of his ascension and his second coming. And so while we're waiting for him to come again, what's expected of us as followers of Christ? And so our first point is this, our returning king expects faithfulness. Our returning king expects faithfulness. Let's look at verse 12 and 13. Therefore, he said, a nobleman traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king and then to return. He called ten of his servants, gave them ten minas, and told them, engage in business until I come back. So there's an unnamed nobleman who's going to travel to a far off country in order to receive the authority to rule, the authority to be the king. And then after receiving authority to be king, he's going to come back. There's the understanding that the nobleman is going to leave, but he's coming back. The nobleman, of course, is representative of Jesus. The crowd is thinking he's about to start 
his kingdom. He's about to start ruling as king. When he goes into Jerusalem, he's going to overthrow Rome. And we're going to have the status that we once had. And he's going to rule. And he's correcting them and saying, I'm going away for a while. But I will return. And I will return with the authority to rule as king. He's going to first be rejected. He's going to first be put on trial and abused and crucified and die and then be buried. And then he will be, re- he will be resurrected. He will come back to life in just less than two weeks, a week and a half maybe from this time, and then he's going to ascend back to the Father. So he's letting them know, I'm going to go away for a while, but I will return. Now in the parable, each of the servants are given a mina. A mina in the day was three months worth of wages. The instructions from the noblemen are engage in business while I'm gone. There's work to be done while I am gone. I want you to put this to use until I come back. Now, this is different than the parable of the talents. There's some very uh, similar components to that. But the, the parable of the talents, people receive different amounts in this Account in this parable of the ten minus, every servant is given the same amount. Every servant that he calls in is given one mina and is told, put it to use. Use what you've been entrusted with until I come back. There is an expectation of faithfulness while the nobleman is gone. And so Jesus, using this parable it is letting them know I'm going to be gone for a while and in the meantime until I do come back there's there's an expectation there's there's work to be done there's things that you can do with what's been entrusted to you so Jesus has ascended back to heaven he has gone away to the far country And he has entrusted each person that is a follower of him with the same thing and a call to faithfulness. And it seems that what we've all been entrusted with, it may look different, but every single one of us has been entrusted with a life that we can live faithfully serving God. How we do that may look different using our different gifts and our different abilities and our different contexts that we're living in. But every one of us has been given a life that we can live faithfully serving Him. You may think, well, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that's exactly supposed to be. I think one step for us could be to... uh, to think of our lives and ask, are, like, are we great commandment people and are we great commission people? Jesus Christ in his life, uh, in his ministry, was asked, being tested, uh, what's the greatest of all the commands? 
trying to trip him up, trying to see if they could pin something on Jesus, where, see, he only cares about certain laws. And Jesus' response was, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love him with everything that you have. And then he goes on to say, and the second great command is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so we call that the the great commandment. So for us, one way we could ask, are we being faithful with the life that we've been given? Is, am I a great commandment person? Am I a, a great, are we a great commandment church? Where we're loving God with all that we have and loving our neighbors as ourselves in order to be a demonstration of God's love. And, and then connected to that, are we great commission people as he ascended back to the Father? Jesus gave the great commission to his disciples and we believe that that applies to all followers of Jesus. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them all that I've instructed you. Are we great commission people? Are we sharing the good news of the gospel? Our returning king expects faithfulness. Next, we're going to turn to what we can expect. What we can expect when he does return. The second thing that we see in this text is this. Our returning king will reward faithfulness. Our returning king will reward faithfulness. Verse 15 to 19. At his return, having received the authority to be king, he summoned those servants that he had given the money to so that he could find out how much they had made in business. The first came forward and said, Master, your mina has earned ten more minas. Well done, good servant, he told him, because you have been faithful in very small matter. You have authority over ten towns. The second came and said, Master, your mina has made five minas. So he said to him, you will be over five towns. We'll pick up the the rest of this in just a second let's pause here and we see when he returns there is a promise of reward right the nobleman in the story returns with the authority to be king and he's now going to assess the faithfulness of those that he's entrusted those that he said do work while i'm gone He's going to assess what they've done. He's going to have an accounting of what has been taking place in his absence. And so the first two come forward and they've been faithful to use what has been entrusted to them and put it to work for the nobleman. And in both of those cases, they are rewarded for their faithfulness. Well done, good servant. And then rewarded with more. Entrusted with more. The one who had, ten, had one mina 
and turned it into ten. He's entrusted to rule over ten towns. The one who had one mina and turned it into five minas is entrusted to rule over five towns. The idea of being rewarded does bring into question, well, what does that exactly look like? And it it really does come down to what your understanding of eschatology and the end times, what, what your belief is about kind of the end times and the timing of all of that. Uh, where you would land on what those rewards will look like, what they will be. And there's different interpretations that are faithful to the Scripture. Uh, and so we won't get into what those different interpretations are of what the rewards look like. But there is the promise of reward. When Christ comes, we have the promise that He will reward the faithful. We see it again, the promise from Revelation in chapter 22, verse 12 through 14, this is Jesus speaking. Look, I am coming soon and my reward is with me to repay each person according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their Robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. When Jesus returns, he will reward those who are faithful. Scripture speaks of there being a judgment seat of Christ where every follower of Jesus will stand and give an accounting for the way that they've lived their lives. Now, the next section is going to go into much greater detail than these first two servants that are addressed. So back in Luke, we have a third servant that comes forward. This servant was entrusted with the same thing that the other servants were entrusted with. So in verse 20 to 26, we see this. And another came and said, Master, here is your mina. I've kept it safe in cloth because I was afraid of you since you're a harsh man. And you collect what you didn't deposit and reap what you didn't sow. He told him, I will condemn you by what you have said. You evil servant. If you knew I was a harsh man, collecting what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow, why then didn't you put my money in the bank? And when I returned, I would have collected it with interest. So he said to those standing there, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. But they said to a master, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given to him. And the one who does not have, even what he does have, will be taken away. Now remember with parables, uh, they're being used to teach a spiritual uh, reality, a spiritual thing. And so when you get to some of these texts, we've seen some before also that it's like, well, this seems, this seems out of place. This seems a little bit odd. Uh, there's an overemphasis here on the interaction with this servant. And so there seems to be a point of bringing out the reality of like, there's something wrong 
with being entrusted with something and doing nothing with it. And so it goes into the loss of reward for the one who's been entrusted with something and then does nothing with it. There is a loss of reward. The third servant has done nothing with what he had been given. He was told the same thing. Engage in business while I'm gone. And his reasoning was, well, I was afraid. I was afraid of you. I was afraid that something, you might not be happy with me and how I used this. So I didn't do anything with it. I just kept it safe for you. And so the accusation doesn't seem to fit. The accusation of you being a harsh man doesn't seem to fit. He seems to be a very generous man. He's generously entrusted them all with something. He's generously rewarded those who were faithful. But regardless, the nobleman's response is, well, if that is true, then you should have done something. If you were truly afraid, you should have at least put it in the bank and there would have been interest on it. You could have done something with it. Reward and loss of reward comes up. The one who did nothing loses his mina. And the one who had been faithful receives even more now. And the the people there troubled a little bit by that, but that doesn't seem fair. He already has ten more. Why does he need another and the, the teaching, again, in verse 26, I tell you, everyone who has, more will be given. From the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. The idea of being rewarded for faithfulness. But unfaithfulness, there is a loss of reward. Now, there are two different interpretations about how this fits. We know that this cannot be talking about loss of salvation. We believe, we confess here at Dogwood that you cannot lose your salvation. We believe Scripture teaches that. That if you are saved, that God will sustain that. God will keep you saved. That's one of the things that we believe here. So we don't believe that this is talking about loss of salvation. So it's either talking about loss of reward for this individual or... It could also, another interpretation would be that this person represents someone who has a close connection to Jesus, but isn't truly a follower of Jesus. He is close to Him, but doesn't really have a life that's been changed by Him. Doesn't truly know the Savior. But regardless, there seems to be a reward for faithfulness. And a loss of reward for unfaithfulness here. The third servant was indifferent to what was entrusted to them. Indifferent to what they've been instructed to do. And I fear often in our lives, this is a temptation for us to slip into that Lifestyle of being indifferent to what's been commanded to us. Whether we're too busy, we think, well, you know, I've got a lot going on. 
I, I can't do all the other things. Uh, or maybe just don't care. It's easy in, in, our, in our Western context to have, especially in the Bible Belt, this idea that, well, I, I've, I've prayed the prayer, and I, please, this is, I'm speaking to myself as much as I, this is not a condemnation of any here. It's just a reality. I see it, that there's this idea of like, well, my faith is, is a part of my life. But it doesn't really guide me. I just kind of float through life focusing on things that are important to me. And I know that in the end, I'm going to be saved because of what Jesus has done. And this passage seems to be pointing out there is a need to assess that. And if that's our heart, if we're, we've slipped into a pattern of life of just indifference to what God has called us to, this text seems to be pointing us to, but God has called us to faithfulness. And He is always faithful to us. And so I have to push against my heart that's wanting me to be just, you know, live my life the way that I want it. I have to push against that and strive for faithfulness, not to earn salvation, but because He has been so faithful to me. We have a Savior who's coming back, and He will reward those who have been faithful. And so let's ask ourselves, am I being faithful with what's been entrusted to me? Am I being faithful to what He's called me to do? The third thing that we see in this text is this. Our returning king will be victorious over his enemies. Our returning king will be victorious over his enemies. Jesus has talked about this multiple times. We've seen it in the Gospel of Luke that uh, judgment's coming, right? Uh, when he returns. And those who have not trusted in Jesus, there is a harsh reality ahead. And this parable picks that up. So verse 14, I'm going to go back and look at verse 14. Because there was another group. We had these servants who were entrusted with things to do. But there's another group in this story. And they're just mentioned in verse 14 and verse 27. Verse 14, But his subjects hated him, and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. There are people in this story who the nobleman has left in order to go and receive authority to be king, and there's a group of people who have said, we don't want any of it. We do not want this guy as our king. We will not follow him. There are some who reject the king in this parable. And we know that that's true of Jesus. In his life and ministry, that was true. There were some who did not want him to rule over him. We saw that with many of the religious leaders. They rejected him. We don't want him. He is not our Messiah. He is not the promised one. And that's why they crucified him less than two weeks after this. Because they didn't want him as their king. You know, at the trial, the question was asked, 
Well, then what do you want me to do with the one who's called King of the Jews? And the crowd yelled out, we have no king but Caesar. They had rejected Jesus Christ. So in one sense, the nation of Israel, the the religious leaders of the day are represented in this group. They had made the demand, we do not want him. He is not ours. But in a broader sense, that's a reality for us today. There are people who are rejecting him. There are people who are saying, we don't want him as our king. We will have none of it. He's not who you think he is. The vast majority of this world is not Christian. The vast majority. Billions and billions of people who have either rejected the message of Jesus Christ or even worse, the ones who haven't even heard And Scripture is clear that there is a harsh reality to come when Christ returns for those who have rejected Jesus as their Savior. And we get to that in verse 27. But bring here these enemies of mine who did not want me to rule over them and slaughter them in my presence. It seems harsh. Uh, Sometimes we have a hard time reconciling this with the, the loving Savior that we know we have. This parable, the story of that Jesus uses to make the point that judgment does come when he returns, is taking an image that would have been familiar with all of them in the ancient world, In the ancient world, when a conquering king came in and took over as ruler, to signify that to the people, they would often bring in the opponents and have them slaughtered in front of the king to demonstrate this is the ruler. So he's using this image of a conquering king to remind us That there is judgment that comes. People who have rejected Jesus Christ as their Savior are still in their sins. Still under the wrath of God. But God loved them so much, He sent His Son to die for them so that they wouldn't have to face the wrath of God. And there is judgment for those who have rejected Him. We believe Scripture teaches that heaven and hell are real places. They are the eternal places that we will, we will spend our lives in for eternity, one place or the other. If we have trusted in Christ, if we are followers of Jesus, we will be in the presence of God for eternity. But if we have rejected Him... If we have rejected Jesus, if we've been indifferent to, well, I'm not an enemy of him, but, you know, that seems like that's for you. It's not really for me. There is harsh judgment that is coming for those who are outside of Christ. Rejecting the salvation available in Jesus 
will lead to judgment for those who have not received the forgiveness of their sins. Revelation 19 through 20 talks about that. It talks about the defeat of Satan. It talks about the defeat, Jesus' return and the defeat of his enemies. And it talks about the people whose names are not in the book of life being thrown into the lake of fire. And since heaven and hell are real places where people will spend eternity, that's why our faithfulness is so important. God has invited us into the mission that He has for this world to share the good news of the gospel with others so that people don't have to live for eternity in torment. There are eternal consequences. And this parable is pointing that out, that when Christ returns, we will experience that. Now, if you're here today and you have not believed in Jesus Christ yet, if you've not chosen to follow him, this parable is a warning. When Christ returns, he will judge. He will bring judgment against those who have rejected him. And Scripture says you will perish for eternity. But that doesn't have to be your story. Because God loves you. He sent His Son to die for you so that you could have forgiveness of sins, so that you could be brought back into the family of God. And Scripture says if you would just believe in Him, you would be saved. And so if you're here and you haven't made up your mind about this Jesus yet, know that you can believe in him today and you will be forgiven and you will be saved and you will live with him for an eternity. If you want to talk about that, please see me after the service, one of our elders or ministry leaders. You can schedule a meeting with me by filling out one of the response cards on the back of your, uh, the seats in front of you. Church, for us, today is a day for us to assess, assess our faithfulness with what we've been entrusted with. We all have been given a life and are called to faithfulness with it while we wait for Jesus' return. We have a king who's coming back for us. Praise God for that. And he's asked us to be faithful with the life that we've been given. And so let's love and serve God faithfully with all that we have. Let's love our neighbors and be a demonstration of God's love to them. And let's be faithful to share the good news of the gospel, inviting people to believe and be saved. Let's be faithful because he's faithful to us and he's coming back for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that we see that demonstrated so clearly in your sending of your son to save us. If there are any here who have not believed in him today, Holy Spirit, work now. Open their eyes to see their need for a Savior. God, for your church, keep working on us. 
keep shaping us more into the image of Jesus. Help us be faithful with the lives that we've been given so that we can be used for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.